Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posted December 22, 2017, we spotlight a recent World Policy blog post on very mixed views about the Russian Revolution 100 years ago in the Kremlin and all across post-Soviet Russia. We'll also preview some top stories in the new WPJ winter issue, cover line, Native Voices. Now this. Сегодня, 7 ноября, на главной площади России пройдет торжественный марш, посвященный 76-й годовщине военного парада 41-го года. В этот день участники марша, Москва и вся Россия приветствуют находящихся на трибунах участника Officially, that parade in Moscow on November 7, 2017, honored the Red Soldiers who marched on the same date in 1941, the 24th anniversary, then went straight into battle with invading Nazi forces. No official celebration of the anniversary was expected in the Ural city of Yekaterinburg, where Russia's last Tsar was killed in 1918, and which has become almost a shrine to Romanov royalty and the White Army that the Reds overcame. Quote, we must never again push society to the dangerous precipice of division, says President Vladimir Putin, who uses means both overt and covert to avert a new revolt against tough times in Russia and his own tough oligarchic rule there. Moscow-based journalist Amy Ferris Rotman wrote about Russia's dramatic division over revolution for the World Policy blog. Her post is headlined The Kremlin's 1917 Revolution Problem and we talked about it the other day for this podcast. Amy Ferris-Rotman, welcome to World Policy on Air. Hi there. You went to the birthplace of Vladimir Lenin, father of the revolution, and found more examples of conflicting opinion about his legacy. Talk about Ulyanovsk, how it got that name, and its sprawling Lenin Memorial Complex. Right, so... The city itself is is not very large. It's um, it's an old city, and it's on the Volga River in in, in the central part of European Russia. Um, and in Soviet times, it was full of tourists on a regular basis, and that's because it is the birthplace of Lenin, of Vladimir Lenin, um, who was actually born Vladimir Ulyanov. That was his last name, and that is what the city has been renamed after. He changed his name, as many of the Bolshevik revolutionaries did, to avoid the Tsarist secret police. Um, so that's and Lenin was his his code name, and that's what became his real name later um, after the revolution. Visiting the city today, a hundred years after the revolution, was it was a bit of a strange experience because I knew that it was this very important city in Soviet times, and it was pretty empty when I went there. And even though the city was getting ready 
for the centenary, unlike other places in Russia, it felt a bit empty and old and um, a lot of detail to attention was not being paid. Um, the sprawling Lenin Memorial Complex, which I visited, was, was itself built 100 years after his birth, after Lenin's birth, so in 1970. And everything there has been memorialized. Um, he, he, you know, the place where he was born, the exact bed where he was allegedly born, the, the school where he first started to write, everything has become part of a sort of living museum and almost like a shrine. The head of the state-run tourism board there takes pride in the exhibitions, but what does she say about Lenin himself? So she was a very interesting lady in the sense that, she, I mean, I think she was, yeah, she was in her early 40s. Um, so, uh, I mean, so not of a particularly old generation and not of a super young generation. She she remembers, of course, the Soviet Union. She lived in it as, an, um, as a young woman, as a teenager. Um, but she... She's even written a book on Lenin in Russian, and she has spent a lot, all of her adult life dedicated to him. But she herself was conflicted, as are many in Russia, about the revolution and what it means today. Um, and I found that a very interesting metaphor for what's actually happening in the country. The country is pretty much split in terms of who wants to remember the revolution favorably and those who do not want to remember it favorably. Um, and there are many Russians who carry this uh, conflict within them. What's the approach being taken in St. Petersburg, cradle of the revolution? I would say that St. Petersburg is the only city in Russia which actually paid any attention to the centenary of the revolution with any seriousness. Um, and that, I mean, for, for, for revolution watchers, for people who are interested in the revolution, that came as somewhat of a relief um, that someone, at least some city, was doing something about it, about this extremely important event. However you want to view it, it changed the world. Uh, and so not marking it in any way does feel a bit strange. St. Petersburg had, has, it opened and has a massive exhibit at the Hermitage, uh, the Hermitage Museum, which is the, winter, the Tsarist Winter Palace, and of course, um, whose square in front was famously the setting for the 1917 October Revolution. Uh, so they are, and they have other events going on as well. Uh, there were also some projections of the storming of the Winter Palace projected against uh, huge structures in the city. Although compared to what used to happen in Soviet times, this reaction was still quite muted. Talk more about the contradictory views of Vladimir Lenin's revolution aired by Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin is, he, I think it's important to understand that he is a product of the Soviet Union, of the Soviet Union's political structures. He rose to prominence in the KGB, which is now the FSB, which was the security services. Um, and it is important to know that. However, Putin is very wary of dissent. The word revolution, of course, is not welcome in today's Russia. And he made he made sure not to talk about the revolution and not to talk about Lenin in any favorable terms in the lead up to the centenary. Um, and also, of course, he himself has described the breakup of the Soviet Union as the biggest disaster of the 20th century. So, uh, but then we go back to the theme of Russians being conflicted. 
Um, if it was the biggest disaster of the 20th century, why did he not want to celebrate or to mark the 1917 centenary revolution? So um, I, I think it is important, again, to, to see how he is contradictory in himself, um, as, as is basically the whole country. The Kremlin also accommodates uh, Russian Orthodox Church views on 1917. Say more about that and what one scholar calls Putin's obfuscation and oblivion. So the Russian Orthodox Church, since the fall of the Soviet Union 26 years ago, has risen to prominence. It's been on a meteoric rise, popularity backed 100% by the government and by Vladimir Putin himself, who's formed an ever-strengthening alliance with, with the patriarch, the head of the church, Patriarch Kirill. And, of course, the church is opposed to what the revolution stood for. It completely eradicated the church on an official level. Um, it also, the revolution oversaw and led to the murder of the Tsar, who was, of course, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. So it's no surprise that the church is against the, rev the events of the revolution and marking the centenary in any way. However, to not want to talk about it and to dismiss it is something that's very interesting that's been happening in Putin's Russia. Um, it represents the contradictory views we've seen, but also this sense of oblivion, um, which is Russia right now, because of what's happening politically with the crises in Ukraine, in Syria, with the standoff with the West, which is due to accusations of election hacking and meddling, what we're seeing now is a resurgent Russia on the world stage and a Russia which needs to tell its home population about its origin story, about the history of its so-called greatness. And this goes hand in hand with the rise of the church and the church being a very powerful tool for the domestic audience as well as what Russia means and what it represents abroad. So I think that it, it is very important to see the church in a historical context, and that is definitely what Putin uses the church for um, as, a, as to demonstrate Russia's historic uh, sense of itself and continuation of greatness, which is, which is, what, which is what the government wants to project. Greatness that uh, long preceded the revolution. Exactly. So greatness, which is officially, uh, you know, according to the Russian government today, according to Putin himself, over a thousand years old. Um, and he even said that uh, recently, uh, a few years ago for his New Year's Eve address, he actually said to the Russian people, he said that the Russian government or the Russian, sorry, Russia, the country, its history did not begin in 1917 with the revolution and it did not begin with 1991 with the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, so he does want to create this sense that Russia has been unified, has been strong, and of course in this context it has been Christian. How does uh, state media handle 1917? TASS, uh, televisions RT, Russia 1, Channel 1? It's actually interesting to see how the state media in Russia did respond to the revolution and to the centenary of the revolution. I would say that they actually um, put on more displays and marked it more than the government themselves, which is interesting because they are funded by the government. And perhaps that was the intention all along. Um, although maybe it's just that journalists of all kinds are naturally curious, depend doesn't matter who's funding you in this, in this particular case. TASS news agency had a very flashy 
interactive site, uh, which used loads of original source material, photographs, telegrams, all sorts of interesting facts and tidbits about what the whites were doing, what the reds were doing, the two opposing armies, uh, which fought each other after the actual revolution and going into the Russian Civil War. Likewise, RT, the Kremlin-funded English language channel, Rasia Din, Russia One and Channel One, um, they actually took a bit of a different approach. They both funded quite expensive, high-budget um, TV shows, drama TV shows on different aspects of the revolution. Interestingly, both of them took to not necessarily showing uh, Lenin or other main characters such as Stalin in a negative light, but other revolutionaries such as Trotsky, who have been demonized um, in, in, in the decade since the revolution. So that was interesting that they chose to focus on that. There is an independent news channel. Who's boss and with what take on 1917? So the independent TV channel, which is a web-based channel, is called TV Rain, and that was founded by Mikhail Zigor, who is a Russian journalist and author. He created a wonderful project, um, and another online interactive project about 1917 called Project 1917. And again, it used lots of original source material. And it was what he says designed to actually dispel some commonly held Russian myths about the revolution, such as the fact or the alleged fact that has been circulated and is constantly circulated by the state press and many people in the Russian government that the revolution was actually funded and planned from abroad. This is one of the main conspiracy theories that has been floating around in the lead up to the centenary of the 1917 revolution. And what does current opinion polling tell us about how the Russian public feels about 1917 and the revolution today? It's interesting because public polling here has pretty much shown the country to be evenly split down the middle and I wonder if this is because of a revolution uh, sorry because of a generational gap I suspect it might be um, recently on a Levada poll that is the only independent pollster in the country which continues to operate um, and get a lot of attention for the work it does the people who viewed the Russians who viewed the revolution in a favorable light were around the same number of people who viewed it in a negative light or in a light uh, that they, they, they thought that needed improvement, that they needed to um, move on from it. So it was pretty much evenly split, which I think says a lot about Russia today. And what were some of the other questions asked about the revolution and the answers that they provoked? Some of the questions were quite strange. I mean, some of the questions were, do you think it was orchestrated from abroad? So going back to that conspiracy theory, um, and some people said that it, it was, obviously. There was another question on uh, Lenin, um, whose embalmed body is sitting on Red Square, and what should happen with his body. Um, of course, Many people feel he should be buried. Um, more, most people feel he should be buried. And um, I actually thought that maybe Putin's government would come out and use the centenary as an excuse to say, we will bury him at last. Um, but they didn't. So he's still there. 
Another commentary on the centenary that I came across outlines all the political pitfalls involving domestic dissidents, uh, former Soviet neighbor states, etc. Ends by saying Putin must be glad that 2017 is coming to an end. But you suggest it's a continuing issue, at least through 2018, and the Romanov execution, uh, several new films and grassroots demonstrations. What are you most looking forward to or fearing? I agree with you. It's not going, this marking or not marking of what happened 100 years ago is continuing, and there's nothing that anyone can do about the fact that one country's history is creeping up on them. However, I would not be surprised if the government actually does step out and mark the centenary of the murder of the Tsars, um, because the church is planning, and that took place, um, that will take place next year, 2018. The church is already planning all sorts of events to memorialize, to commemorate the murders of the Tsar and his wife, the Tsarina, and their children who were killed, and, and their workers and their dogs and everything who were killed uh, at point blank range. I mean, it was a horrific murder. Uh, and the church and its adherents, as well as the government, is very keen on marking that. Whether or not Putin himself, uh, there's an election next year, a presidential election, whether he will be part of those ceremonies, um, no one knows. But I'm pretty sure we'll see members of the government there, absolutely. Amy Ferris Rutten, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Moscow-based journalist Amy Ferris Rotman wrote about Russia's dramatic division over revolution for the World Policy blog. Her post is headlined, The Kremlin's 1917 Revolution Problem. Featured in the new WPJ winter issue, cover line Native Voices, you'll find an inside account of struggles behind the UN Declaration of Indigenous Rights, and articles about a flawed treaty in New Zealand, rediscovered native roots in Norway, and the viral battle being waged by Bedouin Arabs. Plus, Portugal's economic prospects, Nigeria's growing cinema industry, Nollywood, and much more. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Jessica Laudis, Managing Editor Laurel Jerombeck, Podcast Producer Isabel Vazquez. I'm David Alpern. Happy holidays.